Hello and welcome to our series of podcasts on mental health interventions for refugee children. My name is Esther Schroeder and I'm a doctor doing research in refugee health at the University of Oxford. Across this series, we cover assessments, treatments and home and school interventions by talking to experts in these fields. This episode focuses on school-based interventions for mental health. How can teachers and schools be supports for refugee children? I've talked to Mina and Aoife for this podcast. Associate Professor Mina Fazell is a child psychiatrist and researcher here at the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Oxford. Dr Aoife O'Higgins is a researcher on children in care at the University of Oxford with previous work as a practitioner working with refugee children and families. Schools are, for most children, including refugee children, often a safe and important place in their day-to-day lives. This comes with its own set of challenges and opportunities, as Mina and Aoife explain. So I'm passionate about the important roles schools can play for refugee children because often this is the first place where refugee children have an opportunity to start integrating in a meaningful way in their local communities. I think it's important to mention the perspective of the school in terms of assessment and so we have some schools that are used to taking refugee children or have large immigrant populations and we have schools where there are very few. We have schools where there might be no refugee children and have historically had very few refugee children. There are schools that have more or less resources, that have more or less expertise and more or less access to interpreters or other expert professionals. The school culture will, to an extent, dictate how the school engages these families, the time they take and the effort they make to undertake an assessment that is appropriate and that will lead to adequate provision for the child. Many refugee families and children arrive in the middle of the year and this has historically been a problem in terms of being able to find education provision generally. And so many schools might be full or just may not want to take on uh, new students, particularly when they're approaching exam time. And that's a problem that many families have faced. Combine that with their lack of knowledge or their lack of knowledge of their rights and entitlements means that they may not challenge those decisions. So schools might have some challenges, but they also have so much potential to make a big difference for newly arrived refugee children. Mina explains why this is and what are some of the interventions that can be done in schools. We've got to think that refugee children are just the same as every other child. And all most kids want is to make good friends, to play and to feel accepted and belong to their school environment. And so schools can play a really important role in facilitating so many components of what refugee children need, in particular their mental health needs. We've done studies on refugee children who reflect on their time at school. And some, you know, we might expect that the most important thing that's happened to them in their childhood is the day that they were granted refugee status or the day they came and got a new home. But actually what children say, which resonates with children around the world, is that the day things changed for them and supported their mental health in particular was the day that they felt accepted by their peers, the day that another person reached out to them in friendship, the day that they were able to go and play football and score a goal. All these things that we acknowledge in every other child actually is exactly the same for these children. 
And so what schools have is a unique opportunity to support and facilitate that broader acceptance and belonging into a community. I often say to teachers that I, as a psychiatrist, can actually do very few of the most powerful mental health interventions, that these are actually far more amenable to those that are working in the school setting, who can provide natural ways for young people to interact in a manner that facilitates them building that broader system of support that they need. Some examples of interventions that have taken place in schools are group-based interventions to support, for example, unaccompanied minors who've arrived often in groups, often find it very difficult to integrate and finding ways to just facilitate first sharing and friendship amongst them, but then facilitating them making broader friendships with the bigger school community is important. Finding ways to link young people who have mental health problems with supportive services, however that might look in that environment uh, where the school is, is also an incredibly important role that schools can play. Schools obviously encapsulate a whole range of experiences. So there are children in primary schools, now their needs might be quite different to those in secondary schools. So in primary school, I think that we need to think much more around the family environment and the classroom environment and the playground environment and kind of interventions that aren't necessarily directed just at that individual child, but more broadly. When it comes to secondary school, I think the interventions need to think alongside the school about what systems are available to young people at school, but also there might be needs for more individual support for young people because we know that in the adolescent years, all children are more likely to develop anxiety and depressive disorders and these you'd want to identify early and support as soon as possible. Particularly if families have arrived during the school year, it can be difficult for them to find a school that will take their children. This is different for unaccompanied refugee children. As Aoife explains, the number of unaccompanied minors has been increasing in the UK. So if we're thinking about unaccompanied refugee children, in, this, in the UK they're called unaccompanied asylum-seeking children, they would be young people who arrive in the UK without someone who has parental responsibility and who's under the, 18, under the age of 18 and makes a claim for asylum. Those children are almost automatically assessed by social services and where social services accepts that they are under the age of 18 following an age assessment, those children will be taken into care. The numbers are relatively small in the UK compared to other European countries, particularly Sweden and Germany, and the number fluctuates wildly from year to year. So there was a peak in 2008 where we had nearly 5,000 unaccompanied minors in care in a population of 60 to 70,000, and that went down to just over 1,000 in 2011, and that number is starting to rise again. So when children are taken into care, there's all sorts of statutory requirements in terms of attending to their needs, which there aren't for refugee families and children in the broader community. So in a sense, while these children are likely to be enormously vulnerable by virtue of being isolated from their families and separated from their families and separated from people who will have their best interests at heart, there is significant legislation and guidance which tries to protect them and to meet their needs. If we're thinking specifically about education, legislation says that they must be in, in full-time, high-quality education that meets their needs and their long-term goals within 20 days of being placed. 
so local authorities really have a duty to meet the educational needs of unaccompanied minors in care and if they are unable to do this they have to find some kind of alternative provision. I have done a little bit of research looking at the educational outcomes of these young people and I compared their educational outcomes to similar age children in the general population, children who were in care themselves and children who are what we call children in need, so these are young people who get support from social services but are not accommodated. And generally the data, and this is national level data, shows that refugee children who are in care, particularly those who've been in care for two or more years, do better than other young people in care. Not quite as well as children in the general population, but generally they don't do too badly. There's still a lot we don't know, and this is very preliminary analyses and exploratory analyses, but they aren't, they aren't doing too badly. That might be because the majority of them are placed in foster care and so in a protective environment. But some of the difficulties they face are a large number of school absences and that tends to be because they have solicitor's appointment or social services appointments which class wish the school schedule. So they miss out on quite a lot of education and that I can't say has an impact on their educational outcomes but is certainly associated with poorer educational outcomes. So this brings us to the end of this podcast and also to the end of the series, at least for now. Thank you very much for listening and I hope some of these podcasts have been useful to you. You can find more about what we've been talking about in all our episodes and resources on the podcast website.